This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! Welcome to 90 for Chill, the podcast. This is your host, Cool Movies Darth. You can find me on Letterboxd at CMDarth is my username, on Twitter at CatBusRuss. And if you want to be on the podcast, come up with a movie, a theme, a director, an actor. As long as we focus on sub-100 minute material, I think we can create some podcast gold. So if you want to get a hold of me with that, the email is RussTheBus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-07 at gmail.com. And obviously this week, with the short podcast length, I didn't plan on having a guest, actually. So I have Gregory Carl coming on next week to discuss a really uh, thought-provoking movie. Kind of creepy, but excellent performances all about it. It's the 1976 Jodie Foster feature, not Taxi Driver. We're talking about The Girl Who Lived Down the Lane. With this week, though, I did a lot of homework trying to find movies that I can push into this time frame of 74 to 100 minutes, I should say 99 minutes and 59 seconds. I watched a bunch of Predator movies, and eventually after Alien vs. Predators, 11 minutes of credits compared to Ghostbusters 4 and a half, it really shows you how overblown CG is compared to good old practical effects. With Alien vs. Predator clocking in at about 90 minutes when I uh, subtracted the credits, we can do the Predator series. I think the Predator movies are a little more action-based, so I'm going to keep that separate from the horror themes of Alien. Or we can have that conversation, just come on the show, I guess. When I brought up Ghostbusters, I was trying to see, you know, with just basically how much more people get to work on CG compared to practical. And I found out that Ghostbusters still runs in at 1 hour, 40 minutes, and 35 seconds. So, like Han Solo, I am rounding down the parsecs, so we're gonna say Ghostbusters qualified, so Ghostbusters Afterlife's gonna qualify regardless that it's a two-hour, five-minute movie. But with a sequel, I think you're expanding on stuff. You got your base, so I am very forgiving of the extra time taken. In other words, hey, you want to talk about the John Wick movies? I'm sure they're gonna work out too. So Predator, John Wick, and if we want to have a Ghostbusters Scoop conversation, I guess, or even answer the call, which there's a lot of talk about that after watching Afterlife and really seeing how that missed the mark for the franchise. Not saying it isn't a good film, just not a good Ghostbusters movie. And i kind of sad that I came to that conclusion. We'll talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife this week. I actually had hoped to do Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, but I failed to realize that that comes out today. So no time to get that research and done in time for the podcast so you know what this was the better regarded film anyhow so let's go on what seems to be a more promising journey with ghostbusters afterlife little hand says it's time to rock and roll bring the noise are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic have you or any of your family ever seen a spook specter or ghost Raise a call. I'm calling about what happened in New York. 
Ghostbusters Afterlife. Exclusively in theaters. So the iPhone is out and my notes from my viewing last night are prepared. So I found Ghostbusters Afterlife to be uh, quite a bit of fun uh, for a Ghostbusters fan, especially one of the original. It's interesting because this film obviously relying on children for the most part as your cast. The story is centered around the Spangler grandchildren whose mother and them have recently just been evicted. but. Egon Spangler, Harold Ramis' character from the original, had recently passed away, so hence they should inherit his property, which is in the town of Sunnyvale, Oklahoma, which has been suffering from continuous earthquakes since about 2016, so about a five-year period. As I say, the film focuses on children, so that kind of hurts it if you're going to try comparing it as a comedy to the original Ghostbusters since you can't really count on kids to improvise. But perhaps Jason Reitman, who said in the special features that on the DVD that I rented from Redbox immediately popped up after the film had concluded, said this is just basically a dream he had about making his own Ghostbusters movie about a kid who finds a proton pack. So it's an interesting way to embrace uh, the universe. So it gives us a new take. It kind of places it on a different level while still maintaining being a Ghostbusters feature. This is why Ghostbusters 2016 or Answer the Call just doesn't really work as a Ghostbusters movie. It's a fun little comedy a uh, little bit long, and I think a big problem with that is you have great sketch actresses in Kirsten Rigg, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, but are they really the comedic geniuses that were Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis? So as they say, with franchises, you can uh, afford to have a little extra time to establish the universe. These kids are obviously not Ghostbusters, nor are they paranormal scientists to begin with, so it's going to take them time to figure things out. I would say that justifies the first hour of the feature, well, maybe 45 minutes. I don't know if we necessarily needed to bring up a love interest for the 15-year-old elder brother of the two. It does give us the father of the love interest being uh, Bokeem Woodbine, which is cool despite i don't think this is really i can see this if this was tulsa oklahoma working just after watchmen but i don't know it just seems like the ethnic diversity in a flyover state is a little too diverse i mean come on stranger things just left us with a token minority in that tv show and it works fine maybe i'm just not traveling further enough west to see how things have changed but i digress better than ghostbusters 2 i'd say because we have people walking into this universe opposed to just like and here's a continuation with a just a another story of them busting ghost which i will say kind of uh ends up being a 
detriment a little bit because we are just running over the Gozer story again. And I think they could have done a few things differently. Let's, you know, evolve this Keymaster uh, Gatekeeper thing. But it does give us Paul Rudd running away from little demonic stave puffed marshmallow mans which are quite charming in all honesty and ends up being a great callback at the end which this does right i guess is that the callbacks are all nailed all to perfection which is uh something you don't get in 2016's cluster muck i do kind of wish they did give us a little bit of a mention of Ghostbusters 2. I wish we kind of had a more original villain instead of just Gozer. Trying to recall what we all enjoyed. Like, it's funny at work, there's only one steelbook copy of Ghostbusters 2 in the entire store. I don't know if it's still there. I didn't check today. Because it's $16.99. I'm not... I'm waiting for it to get below $9.99 before I pick it up. So, I'm not... Uh, I understand Ghostbusters 2 is not really anything worth remembering, but, I mean, if we could have got the little um, Peter McNichol character, uh, Giannis, I think it was, you know, pawning over a ghost, that doesn't sound too bad. And I guess that's kind of something that's missing is the perverse little elements. I mean, the worst you get is uh, an ode to Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver in the first film. And otherwise, you know, just a third base joke, really. And it's kind of like, it's just, you know, you, you kind of think some things are just a little too obvious. For the most part, since it's not containing the primary cast for the majority of it from the original feature, spoiler alert, but I think they gave that away in the commercials for the DVD release, you kind of enjoy just subtle little jokes instead of just smart-alecky improv that you get from our... Uh, not ready for primetime players as they were once called so as i say i would have mixed some elements it from ghostbusters 2 into it to make this an ideal homage to the original franchise i mean come on jason reitman ghostbusters 2 i think was your acting premiere if you did that we might lose the marshmallow man and i guess that was a safe choice as i say it nails all the callbacks great especially the marshmallow man callback at the end and you got characters I can relate to, like the character named Podcast. Kind of also plays into how nerds can be all over, especially once they start interacting with the original Ghostbusters, which is not even, I doubt it's even five minutes of the feature. And, you know, some may complain that, hey, we uh, got ourselves a CG Harold Ramis, but dude, it's a touching enough homage. I mean, tribute. I kind of had it tear ready. You know, if you could do that, you're at least as good as the worst Star Wars movie. So, and I bought the worst Star Wars movie and I've watched it many a time. So I think uh, if you're a fan of the original Ghostbusters film, this isn't going to disappoint you. I think it's a nice throwback and it kind of leaves itself open. Because I think with movies, once you get into the sequel realm, your sequels got to be ready to open up for new sequels. So I don't know how you do another movie. I don't know if this is worth Jason Reitman giving up all his prestige cred with films like Juno, Up in the Air, Thank You for Smoking, Young Adult. He did this for himself, I think, and it's kind of cool that you can trust him with this material. 
And I think that makes him a great director who's probably going to be bastardized by the Marvel system. But that's a conversation for another day. Hey, I got two days off. Maybe I'll run into the poetic critic and we'll address that. So thanks for uh, coming in to listen to me rant about the Ghostbusters movie, not bastardizing my childhood, which I don't want to be that harsh. But yeah, 2016 may have done that. It's just, it's a silly, 2016 is just a silly movie, and oh, that's something I do love about this one, hardly any slime, if any slime, I think they realized that people got fed up with it in 2016. Uh, 2016, as they say, is a fun movie on its own, but it just doesn't have the same kind of charm, because it's not the same kind of format, and it didn't take a new approach to it, all they did was just try to put different sketch players in. So... Jason Reitman, I think, nailed it with this feature. It's at least a three and a half star movie, maybe a four. I'll probably, with that said, I'll probably turn back to movies like Ready or Not more often. But I am, you know, going to wait for this to get on sale sometime. Or if I see a steelbook, which I didn't even see a slot for it in my retailer, I might grab that. Otherwise... It's definitely, I think this one, unlike Ghostbusters 2, is at least worth $10. So that is my verdict. So thanks again for coming to 90 for Chilled, the podcast. Thank you, Stacia Harden, for keeping me in check and keeping me rolling and inspired. And I hope you do that for the everyone else who you touched in your life. Uh, we'll be back next week with Gregory Carl to talk about Jodie Foster versus a perverted Martin Sheen in 1976. The girl who lived down the lane. Until then, just rate, subscribe on your podcast apps. And if you want to talk trash to me, the Twitter handle is at CatBusRuss. Distract me because I kind of got myself into a war with some conservative. See you next Tuesdays. So thanks again for coming to the 90 for Chill podcast. Hope you have a great week. And can't wait to try to impress you next week. Can I hear a wahoo? I got a few seconds left before that 15-minute window on YouTube. I kind of caught myself thinking, oh, great, I'm sounding like my mom about casting minorities in story, historical plays and films and such when I was talking about diversity issues in the middle of Oklahoma. I'm just going to say, like, it was hard enough to find any black people in New York in 1984. It just kind of seems like an overcompensation. And with that said, at $5,000 a ghost capture, did anybody in Harlem in 1984 get their haunts taken care of by the Ghostbusters? Is the Ghostbusters inherently racist? Just something to think about. Long live Flash! You've saved your ass! Have a nice day!